From the headquarters of the American Radio Relay League in Newington, Connecticut, this is ARRL The Doctor Is In, a bi-weekly podcast addressing common and some not-so-common technical issues in amateur radio. This podcast is brought to you by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST Editor-in-Chief Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and the doctor himself, QST Contributing Editor Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello, I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. And I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Joel, the bands have been, well, to be charitable, mediocre, at least this summer when this podcast was recorded. And as you and I know very well, we're on the downward slide of the solar cycle. When will we reach the bottom? Is that, what, three or four years? Oh, it could be. It's hard to tell because these things tend to uh, march to their own drummer a little bit. I mean, we, th- we think we know what happened last time, but that isn't necessarily what's going to happen next time. And every now and then something really strange happens. So, That's right. Now, I guess summer traditionally is not as good for radio as, um, as winter, let's say, which is why they invented boating and stuff. That's yet. right. It, it certainly hasn't been good for me. But looking, looking out on the long term, if indeed we are headed down into the trough of the solar cycle, I, I am hearing from a number of members who are saying, hey, what, what do I do? How should I prepare for this? What, what can I do when the bands really, really turn awful, if, if that's even a... A valid question. Well, I think the uh, the thing to remember is that amateur radio has a lot of dimensions, frequency being one of them, um, and different kinds of activity being another. So uh, while it may be true that uh, 15 meters won't be open to the Pacific as often as it used to be for a while, it may be that 80 and 40 meters will be better, maybe even 160 if you get uh, have an opportunity to do that. So so one thing you need to do is be adaptable. So you say, okay, there's, there's lots of different things to do, lots of different bands. This may be the time to work on the low ends and bands of your five-band DXCC or your five-band WAS or your mm-hmm. national parks on the air. You, you may not get all the long-range um, contacts that you're used to, but chances are you'll still get some. I mean, I mm-hmm. just worked an all-time new one um, yesterday in, in – uh, the Pacific. I guess it was 15 meters, actually, on, mm-hmm. on 15 CW. Well, that raises another thing. When the bands get poor, what two things happen. One is the maximum usable frequency goes down. Yes. So you don't get good propagation on the frequencies above that generally. But like weather forecasting, it's a probabilistic kind of thing. So yes. all of a sudden, a signal may pop out of a otherwise dead-sounding band. I've had that happen to me any number of times. I remember a... Um, mobile contact I made a few years back on 20 meters from my car driving towards Newington and usually that works pretty well once I get up on the parkway but in the neighborhood with all the trees and the hills Mm -hmm. and the houses around it doesn't often get out very well well there was a quiet 20 meter band I was working side band and there was one guy calling CQ he was in Australia we had a 5-9 contact there was nobody else on the band (laughs) no other signals and uh, we had that contact for quite a quite a length of time. You know, I think it was one of those things where if he did listen to the band and heard no signals and not called CQ, and I'd listened to the band and heard no signals and mm-hmm. not answered his CQ, we wouldn't have had a contact. So right. I guess one of my thoughts is don't always assume because there are no signals that the band isn't working. 
That's it may true. be that everybody's listening and nobody's talking. Nobody's nobody's calling CQ. Exactly. Yes. So g- give a CQ. And if you have a, a recording system that allows you to push a button and do that, it's not even very hard. It's always good to keep your antenna warm and stuff to, to do that from time <laughs> to time. So that's one thing. Another thing that can happen here is that because signals are not as strong, it's more important to have efficient modulation techniques. What do I mean by that? Well, as we t- talked about, I think, in our first session, how much more effective CW is than voice in terms of getting a signal through in poor conditions. Mm-hmm. Well, we're headed towards poor conditions. So one thing you can do is learn to use CW if you haven't done that. I mean, uh, more and more people seem to be taking that up because it works so well. Yes. And uh, so that's one thing. And if you don't want to do that, well, there are other modes, uh, teletype, um, the various Joe Taylor weak signal modes that are designed for signals right at the noise level or below. And they were designed for moon bounce or meteor scatter. But there's no reason that you can't use them other times if you can catch a signal using that mode. So the, the band might not support a sideband tr- contact someplace, but you may be able to get through in some other mode. Like JT65, JT9, uh, PSK31 for that matter. That's true, too. Yeah, it doesn't take as much power. Well, the no. corollary to that is it doesn't take as much propagation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. A little more That's power, right. a little less propagation comes out about the same place. The other thing is some bands actually uh, may get better. There's a correlation, I believe, between uh, low maximum usable frequency and sporadic E propagation, Mm. which favors 10 and 6 meters um, typically. And that can happen any time to any place. It's usually because the E layer is lower than the F layer. It's not doesn't Mm -hmm. provide the length, the distance of propagation, but easily one or 2,000 miles of propagation can work and um, work very well. And the nice thing about that is relatively low power, relatively simple antennas work very well. You don't have to have the kind of antennas that you need for meteor scatter or something on 6 meters. You just have to have something that launches a signal. Mm -hmm. So you've got that band at the edge of your band switch on your HF transceiver that isn't HF, it's VHF, six meters. If you haven't tried it, put up a little antenna. Being up 20 feet is a a wavelength above ground, and the antenna is only, um, yeah, about 20 feet, (laughs) and (laughs) the antenna is about half that long. So a 10 or 15 foot antenna, 20 feet up, might get you some very interesting contacts when um, 20 meters isn't working, six meters may well be working. So that's another thing they can do. I, I can give you a first-hand account. I've had a dipole, a wire dipole for six meters in, in an attic in a condominium I lived in once. And when sporadic E was hopping, <laughs> I have been able to work a couple of thousand miles in one instance with that dipole and i think i at the time i think i was running uh oh less than 50 watts output yep when it works it works very well it doesn't, yes. doesn't work very often that's why they call it sporadic but i think it's less sporadic if the muff is low and the sunspots are lower for some reason i don't know why that would be but that seems to be the case well, what now, about 10 meters i mean does, does yes. sporadic e occur on 10 meters as well it does indeed an interesting propagation study is to participate in the ARL 10 meter contest in December Mm -hmm. because oftentimes we listen to 10 meters it's one of those things oh there's nobody there but if you get on for that contest where there are people on all over the country and and the world it seems to me that at any instant the band is open someplace it doesn't necessarily open to a particular place you want but there are contacts to be had you know if there weren't somebody out there calling CQ contest nobody would know well that's true and having all the people out there at the same time uh, gives you an opportunity to see what really happens on 10 meters. 
Well, like some people have said, they, a contest will open a band automatically, yes. That's right, so it'll be open someplace, you know, maybe. Exactly. Not everywhere, but someplace. Now, when we get to the bottom of the solar cycle in, say, the year 2019, 2020, perhaps, will 10 meters be just utterly dead 24-7? Well, for ionospheric propagation, it will appear that way, but there again, there are, you'll have contacts that suddenly appear out of nowhere, or signals that appear out of nowhere if somebody talks into a microphone or pushes down the key. Mm -hmm. And again, if they don't do that, you won't know, and that happens. Another thing you can do, you can make your own propagation mechanism. There's something I, <laughs> I um, often wondered about. I never really explored this very far, but I noticed a lot of, of flutter. I lived for a while in the um, approach pattern to Logan Airport, about, uh, I would say, 50 miles west of, of Boston. And there'd always be planes going over. And, of course, they'd always reflect signals, which generally would give you a multipath flutter and whatnot. Yes. But I often wondered if um, somebody were on the other side of the path, whether I could make my own propagation path by just reflecting off the bottoms of airplanes that were going by. Hams have done that with microwave, I know that. Yeah, well, it should, I think it works on 10 meters, too, because you can hear it. But it uh, depends on the size of the airplane, mm -hmm. but the airplanes are pretty big these days. Yes. And uh, I think you can reflect. You know, it's, it's basically what we would call in the radar business bi-static radar, which is the transmitter and receiver in two different places. Mm -hmm. and, you, and if it works one way, it ought to work the other way. So, you know, it works off one plane, and then the next one starts to show up, and you get the combination of the two, yes. which goes in and out of phase, and then you get the next plane. And, uh, you know, something like that you could spend, have a lot of fun with, maybe, if nothing else was working. <laughs> if nothing else, it would be intriguing, that's for sure. What if, what if I want to chase DX, and once again, we're talking about the year 2019, 2020, do I need to head for 40 and 80 meters, truly? Is that my only alternative? Well, I think you may have more success there. The other thing is to define your, your success um, objectives a little bit differently. It may be that you'll do better on 40 and 80, 80 meters if you're talking about regional DX than, you're, than about global DX. What, what do I mean by that? Well, for example, for me on the East Coast, Europe is, is uh, relatively easy communication if somebody's there, whereas Southeast Asia is tough on 80 meters for me. But lo and behold, there are, I don't know how many DXCC entities in Europe, but I think it's more than 100 just in Europe. So focus on the things that will work and not be disappointed if, if you can't get to places where it doesn't work. But there are places, you know, you can get your five-band DXCC or get your 80-meter DXCC. At least I believe that's the case. I have, I'm sitting at 95 countries on 80 right now, <laughs> and I'm hoping this winter does the trick. Same way towards South and Central America from Central U.S. or Southern U.S., there are lots of countries that you can work on 80 and 40 without having to have massive antennas and massive transmitters. You know, be happy to, to check off some of them, as well as uh, working states or working islands or working... There are all kinds of things you can do. You just have to change mm -hmm. your objectives to match the conditions, I think. Well, what about the guy, and I'm one of them, the guy that says, 40, 80, I, I don't have room for a dipole 200 feet up in the air or what have you. What, what do you say to that person? Well, you say the same thing you say to them when the conditions are good. You put up an antenna that you can put up and make the best of it. I mean, again, uh, you may not have a rock-crushing signal, but if you're focusing on sort of one-hop propagation rather than multi-hop propagation where you have uh, a lot more attenuation, you have a better chance of getting a signal through. So, so work the things that you can work. Let's face it, on 160 meters, most people work with relatively short loaded antennas, mm -hmm. and um, an antenna half that size will work about the same on 80, and yeah. about a fourth that size will work on, on 40. So 
you can make an antenna that will work. It won't work as well as a full-size antenna. If it's a vertical monopole, which is what people often come up with, it will work best with good grounding, as we've talked about. But even without an optimum ground situation, there are contacts that can be made. True. But now imagine for a moment a fellow who has a 20-meter uh, a dipole right now, and it's up 30 feet, and he's doing reasonably well with that. But 30 feet's as high as he can go. So if he replaces that 20-meter dipole with, say, a 40-meter dipole, I mean, he's going to be pretty low. Is that really going to be worth his time for the low bands for 40 meters? Well, it'll work, and the the peak of his elevation pattern will be, uh, I don't do this real well in my head, but probably up at around 60 degrees or something, mm -hmm. but there will still be energy at the lower angles. What he may find, actually, is an interesting experiment, if he can, if he can feed the coax as a vertical, you know, with the two wires together, you don't even need to do that, just feed the, uh, the shield against ground, make it a top-loaded vertical on 40. It'll be a quarter wavelength with a horizontal loading capacitive hat on the, on the top of it. It'll be a little long for 40, but that'll make it work even better if you can tune it. So, you know, there are lots of things you can do. There's always mm -hmm. an answer. It may not be a good answer, but it's an answer. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I had a thing in the doctor column about... Uh, hiding an antenna behind a wooden fence. Oh, yes, I, I remember. Yes. Which makes a, a very short top-loaded vertical, essentially. Yes. And a lot of people had relatively good success with that. Now, I don't know how much DX they worked, but there again, you don't have to work DX. You can have fun making contacts and just talking to people. I remember that antenna, and I think the upper radiator was only about uh, seven or eight feet off the ground. Depends. It was a little shorter than the top of the fence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you have to go with the fence you got. Then it had a long counterpoise underneath it yeah. at the bottom of the fence. Right. Yes, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So people have done that, and it works. There's always a way to, to do it. You, know, you have to just understand that, that compromises often don't work as well as optimum antennas, but, uh, but they work. So even at the bottom of the solar cycle, it, you don't have to give up. There's still something to do there are things to do you can still chase dx oh and what about 20 meters does it uh, how how is it affected at the bottom of the cycle well if if the um the muff is the maximum usable frequency is below 20 meters the propagation will not be generally good but again there will be exceptions that pop through from time mm -hmm. to time for whatever reason little clouds of something in the ionosphere that that happen to be ionized as as i experienced with that guy uh, from my mobile so it's always worth listening and trying, yes. you know, you listen, look for the spots on the DX cluster. But of course, that one of the things about the DX cluster is everybody else is looking at that. So the guys with yes. the, the kilowatts and the eight element Yaggies are in there first, and you have to wait till they get done before they'll uh, hear you. But that's I worked a, a new one yesterday in that uh, environment without too much trouble. True, and some of the guys who are spotting, they have Yaggies at a hundred feet. If I'm down there at uh, thirty feet with my dipole, I may not hear at all what they're hearing. That's absolutely true, but 20 minutes later, you may. Yes. So Once so everybody gets out of the way. Well, and, and the conditions shift slightly mm -hmm. and so forth. So, so it's better to be the spotter than the spotted or something. <laughs> better to be there first and work them and then put it on. <laughs> of course. <laughs> because then you don't have quite the competition. So really, we're not talking doom and gloom here in the next few years. Well, if you're flexible and realize that there are a lot of different things you can do with ham radio, including going building something that you wanted to build and never had the time for, go build a new something or other. That's right. Um, that's fun, too. Read books, listen to podcasts, too. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of getting on the air, there will still be something to yes. do. And, and, you know, the VHF bands work as well 
will work as well as they do now. Yeah, regardless of what year it is. That's yeah. right. And that can be a lot of fun and interesting to see uh, what kind of propagation you can get uh, living near the coast. We can get ducting down down along the coast to the south. And, you know, that takes uh, takes a pretty good location, little height to, to do mm-hmm. that, but not necessarily great big antennas. But you, no. need, you need to be able to see sort of towards the horizon a little bit. Exactly. But, okay. Uh, so there's always something, but it may not be the same for everybody. True. Be flexible. Be flexible. Think about the fact that if you can't do something from your home station because you're not in a good location for something, think about mobile or portable, something you can do from your car or mm-hmm. from a picnic table, and go off to a good location and do what works on that day from that location, and, and you can have a lot of fun. So don't, That's you're not true. you're not stuck to your own just your own house uh, or apartment. You can go out someplace else. A lot of people do that and have very good luck with it. Or if you have a buddy who lives out in the country and has lots of land, who has a nice, fast internet connection, you can uh, set up a remote station Absolutely. on his property. and yep. that, that works. Because, and this idea that you can maybe work regionally better than around the world means if you can transmit from different regions within the country, if you're a DXer, they just have to be within the U.S., uh, it counts the same. So that's a very good point. You can even rent uh, space on some of these uh, commercial outfits that do that. That's right. All right, Joel, now that we've dealt with that, it's question time. We have one here from uh, John, NN5T, and he asks about optimizing antenna tuning. He notes that if using an antenna analyzer to measure the complex impedance of an antenna while adjusting its tuning, he can tune for resonance or tune for minimum SWR, but not both, he says. Which will provide the best results? Good question, and this may be one of those things that kind of thing we didn't used to worry about before we could measure (laughs) complex impedance we would just tune for minimum swr and in fact if you have an antenna that is at resonance has an impedance that matches your transmission line which is typically 50 ohms both of those will occur at the same tuning so resonance will mean 50 ohms will mean one to one swr but if the impedance is not exactly 50 ohms the um, minimum SWR and the resonant point may be at different frequencies. I've noticed that too. And the, the real answer is, well, first of all, it probably doesn't matter much because you will probably operate the antenna on more than one frequency. So the exact mm. resonance may not be too important. But the, if, it's, um, if you're having the phenomenon of not having the antenna be resonant at the SWR one-to-one point, that implies the coax will be mismatched, which means the impedance will vary along the length of the coax. So what that says is when you get back to the transmitter, even if you set it for resonance out at the antenna, it probably won't be resonant at the transmitter. It'll be some other impedance. So the best thing then is to tune it for minimum SWR at the antenna, and that will provide the minimum SWR back at the radio, which may or may not be resonant, but if it's within the spec of the radio, it'll work just fine. You know, if, you're, if you have a particular reason to need resonance because uh, of some kind of tuning arrangement or something, you, you really need to make that measurement back at the radio, not out at the antenna. That's unless, right. Unless you're yes. doing the tuning out at the antenna. So, um, so adjust the antenna for minimum SWR at the antenna. And the nice thing about that is, by the way, that'll also be minimum SWR any place else along the transmission line. So if you don't want to be hanging 50 feet in the air with your analyzer, by doing it that way, you can put the analyzer or SWR meter down at the bottom or back at the radio 
adjust the antenna for minimum SWR at the radio or at the analyzer, and that'll give you the best performance. And if it's not within the spec of the radio, then you've got to do something different about the antenna. Yes. Or tune it or do something else to it. Well, that makes sense. Thank you, Joel. My pleasure. ARRL The Doctor Is In is brought to you by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. For more information on amateur radio or the ARRL, visit us on the web at www.arrl.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for ARRL. If you have a question or comment for the doctor, send an email to doctor at arrl.org. Background music is courtesy of Ben Sound at www.bensound.com. This program is provided under the copyright of the ARRL. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening. <laughs>